Last time on Star Trek Voyager. What the hell is it? A trans-warp aperture. It's less than a light year from Earth. How many Borg vessels? We can't get a clear reading, but the graviton emissions are off the scale. I want every ship in range to converge on those coordinates now. Yes, Admiral. Hull breaches on deck 6 through 12. I can't stay ahead of them, Captain. The armor is failing. Where's the nearest aperture? Approximately 30 seconds ahead. But it leads back to the Delta Quadrant. Mr. Paris, prepare to adjust your heading. Yes, ma'am. Got 18 ships in position. Nine more on the way. Open a channel. Open, sir. This is Admiral Paris. Use all necessary force. I repeat, all necessary force. Sir, there's a vessel coming through. Mr. Paris, what's our position? Right where we expect it to be. The transwarp network has been obliterated, Captain. We'll celebrate later. Mr. Tuvok. Cease fire. Being hailed. On screen. Sorry to surprise you. Next time we'll call ahead. Welcome back. It's good to be here. How did you? It'll all be in my report, sir. I look forward to it. Thanks for your help, Admiral Janeway. Sick bay to the bridge. Doctor to Lieutenant Paris. There's someone here who'd like to say hello. You better get down there, Tom. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Chicote. The helm. Aye, Captain. Set a course for home. And now the conclusion.
The order setting a course for home caused her voice to waver. Tension on the bridge eased, encouraging crew to relax. Emotions transferred to her chair as she sat, allowing her to face forward, breathe and savor their return. Be emotional later. Catherine remembered the last time she saw her homeworld. Q presented it, and Captain Braxton denied it. One man teased, another quoted a directive, a temporal prime directive now smashed to smithereens. Both people might have delivered Voyager before today. She understood she'd do it twice. Did this mean Q and the timeship relativity understand the conclusion to this seven-year journey? Neither stopped Admiral Janeway altering the timeline. Why? Through inaction, did both time travelers enable this violation? She stopped second-guessing. Temporal mechanics and anticipating the whims of an omnipotent being mattered less. The mental gymnastics distorted everyone's effort. She concluded they knew. Catherine looked at the viewscreen, witnessing sunlight cast over her state of Indiana. Home never appeared so vibrant. Thoughts switched to her mother, Sister Phoebe and Molly, her Irish setter. Everyone in Bloomington, awakened in transporter range. No more borrowed minutes over a long-range communications array. The welcomed ship cruised on impulse towards Earth as chunks of comm traffic from multiple Federation ships swamped ops. A jubilant Ensign Kim, with tears, knocked his captain out of cerebration. Captain, we're receiving hails from the fleet and Earth stations. She shifted the lump of emotion still in her throat. No doubt, Ensign. Who knows our friends wanting to congratulate us on those vessels? Ensign Kim nodded, growing younger. His zest for returning home never faltered. He smiled, weeping as screen readouts overwhelmed his ability to respond. As Earth orbit neared, the USS Bonchoon's captain inquired how Voyager arrived inside a Borg sphere. Other Federation vessels lingered where Voyager appeared and scanned the debris for technology worth salvaging. Janeway knew several officers on board their escorts. She wrapped the arms of her chair, deciding on who to hail first. Harry, send out a general hail, thanking everyone. I'm sure we'll pay each other a visit soon. Catherine realized, after remarking to her operations officer, she'd need preparation time for the onslaught of debriefings. Starfleet headquarters is a hive of rigid, perfectly arranged, musty admiral's offices. Catherine reconsidered the circumstances with their return, and half-desired, skipping to the frontier again. She bit her lip, indulging in dark, sarcastic thoughts. The grateful vessel hailed a rushed fleet of ships arranged by Admiral Paris, thanking them. Other vessels arriving late to the Borg engagement expected conflict, not a reunion. For those crews on incoming ships, today almost became the Battle of Sector 001 again. Harry observed the splendid collection of Federation starships. He wondered who would be more awestruck, Tom or himself. Eyes wiped dry, he looked around the bridge. Emotional relief drenched crewmates. Instead of decades, family gatherings were hours away. The unfathomable distance travelled, disorientated expectations. Harry glanced at Tuvok, straight-faced as ever, tapping commands into his console. The Vulcan could reason on family or security reports. His posture reflected nothing of today's milestone. A small, genuine smile existed on Seven's face, but Harry lacked Tuvok's perceptive skills. Besides an aunt on Earth, who else did Seven have? In these past four years, Voyager cultivated her only family relationships. He wondered about the life choices she'd make. Ensign Kim couldn't spy his commander's face as he stood at ops, his superior piloted in silence. Voyager's first officer possessed ideas Ensign Kim couldn't perceive as entering orbit 
became palpable. Chakotay stared at his tribe's homeworld, contemplating Maquis history. Such concerns didn't stab at him when planning their arrival. Travel between quadrants in an instant reframed perspectives. The caretaker's displacement wave and a Borg conduit provided tidy, ironic bookends. It's normal for starships to embark on five- or eight-year deep space missions. He speculated if this crew's seven-year journey symbolized a real difference in hindsight. Peculiar sensations caused him to flare his nostrils and breathe through his nose. This technique allowed for clarity and focus on an old life thought lost. A potential to discover old friends, restore relationships, became attainable and material again. The view screen, sprinkled with a dozen starships encircling Voyager, provoked. He wondered if his terrorist cell mattered if everyone arrived a decade later without Admiral Janeway's help. Seven needed consideration, and tugging on McKee threads should wait. Better to ask if she wished to travel with him, or if she desired staying earthbound first. Tomorrow didn't require writing crew evaluations or eating replicator rations. Tomorrow turned uncertain. Ensign Culhane entered the bridge and relieved him of helm control. For a moment, he imagined security officers beaming aboard under orders to secure him in the brig. Chakotay returned to his command seat. He glanced at Seven. His eyes welcomed her attention. Chair leather cushioning his hands felt cool after she answered his look with a smile. Catherine sensed Chakotay's comfort, leaned across, grinning and said he had the bridge. I'm going to visit Balana and Voyager's second child. Thank you for downloading Season 8 of Star Trek Voyager, where the journey continues. Please note this podcast supports chapters for convenient listening. Thanks goes to MemoryAlpha.com for help with researching Star Trek canon. Sound files sourced with thanks from TrekCore.com and Two Sober Dwarves Productions. Story ideas were discussed on Reddit in r slash Daystrom Institute. If you'd like to donate, check the show notes. I have a $2 Patreon offering extras. I would also love your support to make the animated episode a reality. You can also check out my other Star Trek podcast, Star Trek Reverie, link in the show notes. If anybody is interested in assisting with the production, they can. We need editors, writers, animators, and voice actors. Please email me for more info. Captain Janeway marched under instinct to sickbay, as though Voyager remained at red alert. Heightened circumstances on board, masqueraded as an emergency. Anticipation towards greeting Bellana's baby, and the miracle with finishing seven years of journeying, provoked to hasten her stride. Crew members passing in corridors provided further confirmation of Voyager's arrival. Oh, Captain, thank you, said Crewman Gilmore. 
We're back. Security Officer Anderson shook her fist at shoulder height. Both knew better than to stop their superior. They shared their gratitude, continuing with assigned duties. Sick bay doors sliced open, but the busy medical bay lay bereft of life. Kathy, my dear! Catherine swung around, cue rested in a lavish pose over the doctor's desk. When Janeway paused, mouth agape, Q bolted and approached. He carried the pad from their last encounter, referencing it with his finger. It came to be quite a merry-go-round across the galaxy. Hmm? Q finished gesturing and flung the pad behind him. It disappeared before hitting the carpet. I knew both Mummy and Grandmummy had it in hers. Everyone safe and sound? Ready for shore leave on this dreary backwater? Prepped for plenty of boring meetings? Q exaggerated a yawn. <sighs> Yet pity about your engineer. Joe, Joe... Q clicked his fingers three times, forgetting Joe's second name. Q. She raised a hand, pushing away, guarding her personal space. He deflected her irritation with a flash of his palms. This isn't the worst time, but it's not the best time either. Close enough, his eye level lowered. Q stepped forward. Oh, but it is. While you're busy with your visit to this blue speck of dust, I thought I'd share a special, quick, heartfelt congratulations. Q gestured where he remembered the human heart lived. Janeway held her hips, in defense against his typical verboseness. While I am grateful for your assistance, is this a quick visit? Well, yes, I left my boy unsupervised. I wanted this private minute, before your lives change again. Let's reaffirm the mutual respect and adoration we have for one another. Catherine judged Q's cryptic, celebratory mood as positive but confusing. I won't be the only one to miss you, Kathy. Junior and I, we're trying to make our father-son thing work. That's great, Q. She acknowledged with gentle assurance. Let me attend to my family, and you yours. Catherine spoke with deceptive teeth. Q understood, but what is a forced smile as a hint to leave to an ageless, godlike entity? Of course, my dear. Congratulations again on the double Janeway wow factor. Can't say I enjoy her Borg Highness not as scintillating as you, and I don't think even Jean-Luc could bring this kind of triumph home. Q held the woman with a sincere hug and pulled away before Catherine looked uncomfortable. You're very happy when you're beautiful. He blew a kiss and vanished. As Q flashed out of sight, the doctor flashed in front of her, smiling with maximum bravado. Well, Captain, I'm two for two with the new Voyager crew. Those Q returned acted unknowing of his interference. Catherine set aside his visit and focused her attention on family. A delighted Tom and Belana watched her sidestep another obstacle. The cheerful hologram praised himself and didn't register her lack of interest towards his new godfather status. Congratulations, Belana. Do you have a name? We've decided on Miral after my mother. I thought you might. She leaned into Belana, holding Miral, and caressed the baby's soft hand. Everyone's view met. Well, the timing is fortunate. Their captain rose and announced their arrival as the best present they could hope for, for their burgeoning family. A thought triggered Tom into action and looked with owl-wide eyes at both women. My dad, Morale's grandfather, will be here any minute. Correct, Lieutenant, but please stay here. Enjoy your parental leave. She hugged Morale's parents and said she would visit again. She turned to the doctor. When you're finished, come and find me. The EMH stopped tidying his equipment. Captain, where are you going? I might be rusty with Starfleet procedures, but flag officers are boarding. Project Pathfinder informed Starfleet Command of X-Borg drones serving as crew. Janeway wanted to curate their reaction. 
Catherine brought herself within speaking distance by tapping her comm badge. Janeway to Seven and Janeway to Echeb, please meet me in Astrometrics. Doors parted, and both individuals strode through. Their entry appeared choreographed. Janeway watched Earth signal a vibrancy she relearned an appreciation for from the astrometric screen. Her attention drifted towards planetary traffic, Earth Station McKinley, and Starbase One, floating like moths around a lamp. It allowed for a meditative second, soothing thoughts before a storm of Starfleet personnel placed boots on deck. Hello, Echeb. Glad you came. Echeb acknowledged with a youthful grin, unconcerned with the view. Seven said they would enter orbit in two minutes. Janeway thanked her and addressed them. I called you here because, well... She referred to the massive display with a slight movement of her hand. Icheb stared while Janeway continued. As a natural consequence, admirals, the engineering corps, and families will flood Voyager, wrecking emotional and technical havoc on this ship. Catherine pulled her uniform straight. This is important. Our guests won't know you like we do. Forgive any misunderstandings. Informed by his academic studies, Icheb inquired. Because the Borg incurred on Federation space, the Battle of Sector 001. Seven's posture tightened. Are we to assume hostility? No, I dare say anything like that, but reminding others you were also victims may be necessary. Seven regarded her captain's endorsement as adequate and relaxed her chest. You have earned the trust of this crew many times. Starfleet knows, even if they express hesitations, but you'll have our support. Especially after these past few days. Catherine rubbed her forehead and stopped crossing her arms in defense against the work to finish. In the meantime, I'll inform Chakotay. He will prepare you both for your first briefing. Each Ebb and Seven allowed themselves a smile in acknowledgement and assessed their workstations. Their unofficial guardian exited for her next destination. Federation starships dispersed and resumed their original assignments. Newer vessels arrived into the system, hung motionless, and walked away. Others remained in orbit. The USS Voyager, NCC-74656, returned to Starfleet's nest. No longer a chick, she came home to roost. Her cold, duranium hull basked in planet Earth's warm glow. Space stations and orbital platforms acted in usual calm over humanity's homeworld. Inside the Intrepid-class ship, her crew weren't entitled to such tranquility. Sensors showed two shuttlecraft breaking free of Earth's gravity. One carried Admiral Owen Paris. The flag officer declined the transporter. He flew past Voyager, inspecting the ship. Owen Paris acknowledged the miracle and placed himself in front of her as though to spy his son by a window. A smile grew as sunlight reflected from Voyager and entered the shuttle's cabin. Project Pathfinder's original mission began as a means to track a lone vessel. Today the assignment evolved with accepting her return. The older gentleman and a Lieutenant Commander Barclay gazed. Remarkable, Barclay said to himself. He noted various Borg modifications stitched into the hull. Owen overheard and transferred his relief to a man entrusted with bringing his son and former XO back. A Bolian male stood against the mess hall windows, swaying. Intense activity surrounding the ship excited him. On a child's first encounter with a Bolian, they could mistake Crewman Chell as originating from Earth. In simple terms, a blue round man came from a blue round planet. Skin texture mimicked hues of Hawaiian water mixed with foam from ocean waves. 
But Chell's abrasive conversational style nullified his calming appearance because he opinionated on any topic, as did any native from Bolorus 9. If Elorians are the listeners of the galaxy, Bolians are the talkers. Therefore, Bolians never become decent counsellors. Luckily for Voyager's crew, only two Bolians travelled on board, while marooned 70,000 light-years away. Chell's forceful conversational nature enabled a quick transfer into Neelix's galley. This, despite a personnel report cataloguing his unreliability and disruptiveness. His traits overlapped with Neelix's. It's assumed his ascendancy to ship's cook succeeded because of his confidence. Despite initial scepticisms, he proved his culinary skills equaled Neelix's and surprised crewmates. Now I won't have that. Captain and commander made eye contact. They underestimated how much this role meant, with witnessing him slump forward, elbows on table, hands holding his bald face. Voyager's refit meant reinstalling mess hall food replicators. He couldn't remain tethered to his inheritance. These meals allowed me to express my untapped artistry. Janeway devised a solution to lift spirits. Use remaining fresh food and organize one last dinner, a Delta dinner, as she described it. The Bolian spread his palms, revealing an excited blue smile tinged with pink gums. Imagine this honor, starting a new culinary career, having cooked for Starfleet Command. The dinner served crew members' families, not Starfleet Command. Catherine stressed she'd assign assistance, but her words flew over strengthened ambitions. In anticipation of Starfleet's intentions, she asked Chell to prepare food samples for study and synthesis. Permission to leave, Captain? She smiled and blinked, yes, not expecting an immediate response to her orders. Catherine pivoted in the chair and faced Chakotay. This crew has almost thanked me in every corridor and turbolift since leaving the bridge. This is thanks to you both. He flicked eyebrows, heaping praise, but her pained smile acknowledged Admiral Janeway's sacrifice. In one way, the Admiral never returned home. Her thoughts stayed on us, to deliver us home. Harry and I can speak with experience to that. Catherine let his comment remain as last words on the topic, and believed any crew member, given a chance, would express solidarity and tackle how to bring everyone back, whatever the cost. She reached for her mouth and broke the silence. I have to stop smiling. It hurts. Chakotay didn't respond. He stared and smiled. She massaged her pained jawline. What are your thoughts, Commander? Well, do you need a coffee? Second, I wanted to sit here. Savor this moment before our incoming storm. You deserve that sore mouth for these next few days. I don't... The Man of Light and Photons waltzed into the mess hall as her comm badge chirped. Tuvok's electronic voice filled the empty dining room. Bridge to Captain Janeway. Admiral Paris is about to board. Thank you. On my way. Before the doctor could speak, Janeway pounced. Doctor, you're with us to Shuttle Bay 1. He opened his jaw to close it again. Q's visit flashed in her thoughts. When events settled, she'd tell Chakotay. I'm not drinking any more replicated coffee. I want real beans. Chakotay shoulder-nudged the aficionado. Maybe Admiral Patterson will deliver some. Surely he'll visit. Catherine placed her hand on her belly, hopeful about his remark. She also fancied presenting Patterson with a pop quiz. The EMH, ready to dismiss the prize of coffee, recalled his one time eating food and neglected interrupting their conversation. Captain Janeway informed the doctor Tom would supervise Belana. He needed to accompany her. Then Owen Paris could tackle his reconciliation in private. Well, if I'm greeting the Admiral again, I need to look my best. An effortless transition reskinned his attire to the modern grey-slash-blue formal dress uniform. Most appropriate, wouldn't you say? Wait, when do we get our new uniforms? 
She chose not to entertain his mock jealous tone and let the EMH have this moment. She waved a hand, signaled an okay, and rolled her eyes. Crewmen hurried into formation as the trio entered the shuttle bay. Voyager's doctor received quizzical glances from others stood in line. He translated their interest as him dressing the best. Hmm. The first craft entered through the force field and landed. A second shuttle followed. An unwanted pause hung in the air for those assembled. Side doors opened from both auxiliary vessels. A bosun's whistle blew, honouring Voyager's first visiting Admiral since leaving for the Badlands. Admiral Owen Paris stepped out, head carried high with a smile held higher. As did another Admiral, Janeway didn't recognise, followed by Lieutenant Commander Barclay. The second ship included an engineering crew. Those personnel formed a line behind Admiral Paris as he prepared first words. Catherine reckoned the venerable man escaped from the shuttlecraft with a vigour identical to an Academy cadet marathon runner, reacting to a starter's pistol. Admiral Owen Paris marched with the warmest grin, prepared. Disregarding Starfleet protocols, he opened his arms wide enough to catch two Catherines as he narrowed the gap between them. Captain Catherine Janeway, you gave us a welcome surprise today. You should know Voyager, sir. A mysterious disappearance has to have an equal in magnitude reappearance. He straightened and patted her uniform's shoulders. Either way, that docking bay, we kept it open for you like you asked. Large hands pulled her in for another hug. There's no view screen or geodesic fold between us now, Kathy. As two old crewmates from the USS Albertani embraced, her senior whispered, You got Starfleet's attention again and I'm still eager to know how you did it. Voyager and shuttle crews remained in formation on either side of the embraced pair like a number 11. Owen stopped squeezing his former science officer and instructed everyone to stand at ease. I will keep this brief. I'm not here to make an impressive speech, only a heartfelt one. Standing here with you all is wonderful. We've already started contacting your families. You'll all be home soon. Welcome back. When flag officers visit, concern followed. This crew relaxed. Many in line beamed smiles at the visiting contingent. Naomi felt her mother's grip tighten around her hand. She looked up and Samantha Wildman's spare hand trapped tears. The Admiral's words strengthened the culmination of Catherine's promise to get her crew home. She looked along the line, introducing senior staff. Hello, Commanders. Good to meet you in the flesh. Chakotay, Tuvok, and Ensign Kim shook palms. I, I believe you know my chief medical officer. Ah, uh, yes, and Voyager's resident author well met again. He congratulated and noted his uniform. The EMH expressed a small bow with a cautionary Admiral as acknowledgement. Pathfinder's project head walked along the line and noticed one crew member younger than everyone else. He knelt and spoke at eye level with Naomi Wildman. Is this the famous captain's assistant I've heard so much about? Yes, I am, sir. So please don't be afraid to ask for anything. Uh, I'm very experienced with making command-level decisions. The oldest person Naomi ever met laughed out loud. Years passed since a child spoke in his presence. He steadied himself from his crouch as he spoke. I'm sure... And I'll accept your offer if your mother permits it. He clutched Ensign Wildman's hand harder than she did her daughter's. Well done. Raising a captain alone couldn't have been easy. Samantha recovered against unexpected, honest affection. My especially large family helps. Shipmates in earshot smiled. Recycled air in Voyager's shuttle bay warmed with joy. 
A collective emotional weight, with no longer being alone, flew from their breath. Tuvok and Vorik stood unfazed with the emotions encircling them. Owen Paris scanned through the crowd. Catherine stopped him. Admiral, your son is in sickbay with Voyager's second child. Shock restrained his throat and swallowed through a closed mouth smile. Right, be, before we have a tour, I have some introductions. He directed with a thick arm. I believe everyone knows Mr. Barkley. He. Hello, Captain, I. Catherine extended her hand. Thank you, Reg, for making our journey less lonely. Well, well, Captain, I'm only due. It's my job. She spied nervous energy and gripped his arm, steadying their handshake. Oh, I'd say you did more than that. You made our lives so much easier these past few years. Take credit from your effort. The, the, thank you, Captain Janeway. Chakotay and Harry commended the worrisome man. Tuvok nodded approval. This is Admiral Carter Mitchell, also with Project Pathfinder. A dark-skinned man, similar height to Admiral Paris, but without the bulk and elderliness approached. Warmth and a little less authority emanated. Janeway sensed a weariness from him and shook hands. Pleasure, Admiral. While Mitchell mirrored her sentiment, a thought jumped to Admiral Patterson, a step up in seriousness compared, and a complete puppy after breaking through his sharp exterior. And this is a professor of engineering, Miles O'Brien from Starfleet Academy, here to offer help on Borg technology. Professor O'Brien served on the Enterprise D during its encounter with the first Borg cube. Miles O'Brien rushed in. Hello, Captain. We've met before. She waited for an old memory from seven years ago to resurface. Oh? O'Brien elaborated how after the Enterprise, he transferred to DS9 as their chief of operations and said they met in ops when she visited. Janeway replied with an Irish saying, May your home always be too small to hold all your friends. Miles threw his eyes around the shuttle bay. Aye, Voyager and Earth are small enough. Catherine invited everyone into their conversation and raised her voice. We traveled 70,000 light years, and the world is smaller with unknown friends already. She told O'Brien her family had descended from the O'Donnell clan. Of course. Celtic bonds took root. Miles grew a cheeky grin, and with a warm touch, Janeway inquired about Commander Sisko. Not expecting the question, he paused, lifting his eyebrows. Commander Sisko? Oh, he became captain a few years ago. Looked great last I saw him. Good. I hope to see him again. But first, Ensign Wildman, she'd like to meet you. You served with Greskrentrek, my husband. His thumb and index finger pressed his temples, coaxing the memory out. You're Samantha. Greskrentrek is a good man. We know. Samantha Wildman giggled with Naomi. Let's talk more later. Janeway noticed Barkley raise a hand. I... I served with Miles before. As soon as you arrived, I contacted the professor with Admiral Paris's permission. Miles's experience will be most helpful. Duly noted, Commander. Thank you. Admiral, if our new friends don't need us, I believe we have other parts of Voyager to inspect. Owen's spine stiffened, understanding the implication, and followed as she addressed his companions. Gentlemen, you may speak to Commander Chakotay for your needs. Also, we are arranging a small function in our mess hall. It's your only chance to sample handmade Delta Quadrant food. Professor O'Brien lifted his forehead, happy at the offer. Paris and Janeway exited the shuttle bay as crews mingled. Admiral Mitchell tasked Voyager's department heads with beginning the equipment and technology transfer, while the EMH beelined towards Reginald and O'Brien. Reg, good to see you again. Hello, Doctor. Welcome to the Alpha Quadrant again. Your new uniform looks great. Wait, uh, this is a Mark I EMH. 
I didn't think Intrepid-class starships had hollow emitters ship-wide. Reginald Barclay understood Miles' confusion. You're right, they don't. Suffice to say, Voyager's Mark I evolved with a greater set of abilities. The Doctor has developed into an LMH via some clever engineering, and a mobile hollow emitter that can- A mobile emitter? O'Brien squinted at the metal pick-shaped device on his arm. It's 29th century technology. The Doctor added, verbalizing pride while showing his arm. The curly-haired man, alive with interest, zoomed in for a closer look. It gives me the freedom to go anywhere. The Doctor continued. What's taking him so long? The newborn in his arms caused no lapse in thought for Thomas, Eugene, Paris. Tom counted fifteen minutes as passing since Harry whispered over the comm, saying the admirals had boarded. He calculated the travel time for his dad to join them. It required exiting the transporter room on deck four, riding a turbo lift, one floor, and then taking a few steps to reach sickbay. Harry, in his haste, neglected telling Tom, Owen Paris arrived via shuttlecraft. Voyager's helmsman, unrecognizable from his previous job as an ex-con, toiling in New Zealand. After seven years piloting the furthest regions of space, falling in love, marrying, this day launched him into fatherhood, and his dad marched the corridors. Not any dad, an admiral, known throughout the service for discipline and adherence to regulations. He stood by the bio-bed, where his wife lay, acting as a shield from sickbay doors. Belana's slight bedridden smile, and his daughter's existence, couldn't calm him. Belana spent energy giving birth while under Borg attack. She earned parental leave crossing galactic quadrants in labor. Tom waited to justify his. This reckoning ended today. If Voyager didn't return, the man gripping the biobed might have escaped fate, but how would not making amends be intuited? Easier to evade the Borg than escaping a father's judgment. Personal entanglements demanded more emotional energy than ship-to-ship -ship combat. He smiled at me on the view screen. That wasn't for show? You're smiling at our daughter. That isn't for show, is it? It isn't the same. She doesn't understand what a smile is. Uh, don't be brain dead. Your father smiled. You understand that? Of course I do, it's just... Tom interpreted Miral's fresh face as having taken her mother's side and slumped against the wall. Just what? Uncomfortable? Please, you're talking to me. I've just given birth, or hadn't you noticed? Which the doc gave you medication for. At least you opened a comm line with your family. Belana listened, sensing unnecessary desperation. You're worried, I understand that. Her combative nature acquiesced, for the baby's sake. Do you remember your father said he was proud when we first contacted Starfleet? I remember. While Tom shared doubts cuddling Miral, medical bay doors hissed. Admiral Paris and Captain Janeway entered. Consoled by Janeway's smile, Tom noticed she'd shrunk in Owen's presence. Their grinning faces confused him. Janeway saw both men stiffen and performed her best to minimize the uncertainty. Admiral Paris, may I present your son? The tyrannical man from his childhood acknowledged Janeway with a soft, slight smile, nodding. Thank you, Catherine. We'll catch up and make more speeches later. She reciprocated and granted everyone privacy. Voyager required tending to. Gentlemen. His father approached and shared a gentle... Hello? and addressed Balana by name, not rank. Owen asked the baby's name. Tom turned 16 again, and abided as instructed when questioned by a family senior. Miral? Owen inched closer, evaluating his granddaughter's head ridges. His lips twitched. Miral Paris. She'll make a beautiful addition to our Paris family. 
His father mushed words. Tom forgot when he last heard his dad speak so warmly. Miral's parents never said her full name out loud. A tear formed on Owen's face. Bailana asked for Miral, freeing his limbs to perform his duty as a son. Voyager's best pilot didn't imagine this old man's reaction as he opened his arms. Broader shoulders grabbed him faster than he anticipated. With approximately an O'Compan's lifetime spent aboard Voyager, Tom fostered close relationships with shipmates. Hugs came easy. Who do admirals hug, besides Janeway? This man of great import, who remained tough and remote throughout Paris Jr.'s childhood, almost collapsed in his presence. He held the law-enforcing figure, the one scolding him from his younger years, who used to shout, Crying is a sign of weakness. Owen Paris embraced this weakness. Tom remembered his dad's smile from the viewscreen and understood he had shown anxiety. As he held his father without tears, his neck received a hot breath of words. I love you. If this man dressed him down for insolence, he envisioned himself sniveling like a kid. He glimpsed at the bio-bed's occupants. Belana widened her eyes, urging her husband, while Miral rested in her arms. She stayed silent to the affair unraveling. A seven-year absence regained its heft, but Voyager's initial loss, then rediscovery, placed an emotional strain on Paris Senior. Like piloting a shuttle careening into a moon, thinking this is life's end. Only to regain control and pull away in the final seconds. Sometimes with another chance, it's more difficult. Owen lifted his head off Tom's damp shoulder, wiped away tears and faced his progeny. While reasserting himself, he expressed through a sore throat and the heat of crying. Owen caught a breath. My boy, I'm proud with what you've accomplished. You don't know how much I mean that. Dad, I know I'm... Let me say this. An admiral stopped his son from speaking and clamped on his son's shoulders. And Tom, on instinct, agreed like a teenage boy again. I'm beyond our history. These past few years, discharge from Starfleet, the Maquis, the penal colony. I'm just grateful you're here. I've always loved you. I'll make amends. Dad... We'll make amends together. Both men hugged, this time gentler. Tom glanced at Balana. His anxiety had disappeared. He winked, signaled an all clear, but she already knew. I'd like to welcome you all home by keeping your first briefing light. The crowd in the shuttle bay chuckled. Chakotay smirked, but doubted his sincerity. He waited for the antagonism to show itself. Admiral Paris provided operational oversight, where Admiral Mitchell's duties lay in resource management, logistics, procurement, and oversaw the Midas array. Today, Starfleet tasked Mitchell with transferring Voyager's inventory. He hosted the briefing in the shuttle bay. His deft leadership style enabled asking quick procedural questions. A Vulcan lieutenant... Equal age to Vorix recorded the minutes. Chakotay heard the aide performing entries in his pad while paying attention to any subtleties in Mitchell's behavior. He lacked pomp and sting in this discussion, showing disinterest towards those Maquis present. Chakotay's time instructing at Starfleet Academy delivered constant engagements with obstinate admirals. His hidden wariness during this meeting stemmed from a communique two years earlier. His captain let him view a message sent by Admiral Hayes from a data stream. I just listened to a communique from Admiral Hayes. Nice to have friends in high places. Voyager's first officer never met Hayes, even though Hayes spent his career being shuttled around Earth and Federation core worlds. He specialized in attending conferences, writing reports, 
anything involving comfy desks. Admiral Hayes' directives always resulted in being unsympathetic to the colonies bordering Cardassian space. Admiral Nechayev, while no friend, at least visited the DMZ. Chakotay didn't mean to compare admirals, but the ancient communique irked him today. The video started with mundane updates. Hello, Captain. I hope this message finds you well. From what I understand, it has not been easy. But I want you to know that a lot of people here are very proud of what you've accomplished. I also want to assure you that we have not given up finding a way to get you home. We've redirected two deep space vessels toward your position. If all goes well, they could rendezvous with you in the next five to six years. Janeway skipped to a time index in the recording, expressing concern about the reference to the McKee. Computer, advance to time index 121.4. Admirals like Hayes intended to imprison them all, and had ignored how well this group aboard Voyager conducted themselves. When you respond to this message, please let us know of any casualties. I'm sure you've had more than your share. I'm anxious to know the status of your crew, the Maquis, first contacts that you've made, interactions with the Borg. But there'll be time for everything. Our thoughts are with you. Talk to you soon. Two years ago, thoughts of a stodgy admiral, thousands of light years away, couldn't bother him. His collection of McKee lived outside Starfleet's reach. He recalled saying in that moment the issue could be dealt with later. What? Status of the Marquis. Do you find that surprising? I don't think of you, Orbelana, or the others as Marquis. I think of you as part of my crew. You may have forgotten, but we haven't. You heard the Admiral. It'll be years before we have to deal with those issues. Let's worry about it then. High emotions in Shuttle Bay 1 distracted shipmates. Those in attendance didn't perceive his deceptive thoughts. No one watched the tattooed terror's focused presence, nerves primed since shuttles docked. The boxer in him expected an opponent to make his entry and throw first punches. Even though Admiral Hayes died at the Battle of Sector 001, defending against the Borg's second incursion into Federation space, he symbolized a combative element among Starfleet top brass. Chakotay held the highest position of Free Maquis. This meant responsibilities fell on him. But he realized Mitchell wasn't his adversary. Chakotay reconsidered his level of apprehension, but couldn't shake the notion somebody could come for him. Mitchell restated how Project Pathfinder contacted their families and should make their way to Earth. To secure key areas, he assigned extra security personnel to Tuvok. The vessel fell under the purview of his office, and as Voyager's department heads shared smaller items from to-do lists, personnel acknowledged their orders and scattered. The ranking officer raised his voice against the background chatter. Commander. Yes, sir. We have a meeting with your captain. Can we... Yes, sir. I'll catch up. Chakotay nodded at Harry, and Ensign Kim offered the way for the VIP and his aide. Let me escort you, Admiral. Mitchell addressed Chakotay by rank, shook his hand, and congratulated him for Voyager's return. Chakotay glanced at Mitchell's deepening wrinkles and wondered if excessive stress or smiling had defined them. With the bay emptying, Chakotay looked for the EMH, but he had already left with Mr. Barclay and Professor O'Brien. He wondered where that pow-wow went. All three didn't stay for Mitchell's briefing. A calm, familiar voice entered his ears as he opened his pad. Might I assume you weren't expecting a cordial first visit, Commander? How could you... Yes, something like that, Tuvok. I observed the Admiral focused on the task at hand. Chakotay inputted commands into the pad as he listened to his security chief. While both Admirals are unconcerned with their duties in front of Maquis crewmen, your presence, orbiting Earth, 
will no doubt provoke a stronger reaction. I can agree. He wrapped his fingers against the pad's case. If there's nothing else, Mr. Tuvok, I'm going to update our captain. There is one thing, Commander. It's logical to assume Starfleet will bring investigations against Maquis crew members. I surmise it's already being arranged. We simply wait to be notified at our earliest inconvenience. When those hearings come, you will have my full support. He noted Tuvok's considerations and smirked. Tuvok tilted his neck. Curious. What gives you cause to smile? The pad dropped to hip height. Seven years ago, Starfleet ordered you to perform cloak and dagger operations against me. You're still spying at any rate. These are our new circumstances. Unforeseen we would cooperate united for so long. Tuvok straightened his posture, mirroring Chakotay's body language and blunt assessment. If I do say so, we work well together. It will factor into my report. Grinning at the irony, his commanding officer waved the pad indicating his departure. Tuvok nodded.